Welcome to Dead House. I'm Dylan. I'm Nathan. And it is hot as balls today. Yeah, what is this? The third day of summer? And yeah, oh, true. Bad. Officially summer. Yeah. yeah. Literally the first day of summer was the hottest day we've had all fucking year. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting here in a singlet and board shorts. You're in like a very thin, flowy shirt. It's a <laughs> fan on, aircon on. Yep. And uh, yesterday, I, what, what a better time to start, or what a better thing to do in the heat of summer than I helped my father... Like, well, I say helped, I did for him, like, some landscaping. Oh, yeah. I, like, dug out the sort of garden under his stairs. Mm. And I have a newfound respect for your father. <laughs> like, how the hell anyone does that for a living? Yeah. That is hard work. For I was like, fucking wrecked. 40 years or whatever. Yeah. I mean, like, good on him. He must be fit as a fiddle. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's what I say to him. Like, one of these days, he's got to get off the tools <laughs> and just... Because he... He's uh, his own boss. So, I was like, look, hire a bunch of people one of these days and just do all the paperwork. Because, uh... One day he's going to bloody keel over <laughs> in the sun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, respect. It's, um, I feel like we need another beach day soon. Make use of that uh, that license to drive on the sand. And, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Pardon, I said I'm hot. Even well, just, that's why you swim. Yeah, well, that's true. But even like just reading in my yard. If I'm like <laughs> sitting in a chair for 20 minutes, I get sunburned. So it's, I'm just too pasty. But yes. um, what have you been up to this week just gone, my friend? Well, in, I guess, horror-related news, mm. I watched The Fall of the House of Usher. Oh, dude, people at work have been suggesting that to me. The latest show from uh, Mike Flanagan, mm. the creator of such films as Hush and what Oculus and TV shows as Midnight Doctor Mass. Sleep. Oh, he did Doctor Sleep too, didn't he? Midnight Club, yeah. Yep, yep. Fucking Haunting of Hill House. Mm. Mm. Uh, I would recommend yeah, specifically okay. to you. Okay. I've heard... Uh, that it's very, very good. Um, mm-hmm. But also, the guy at work that mainly keeps pitching it to me, uh, <laughs> thank you, Luke, if you're listening, is uh, because of the uh, book by mm-hmm. Edgar Allan Poe, or the story by Edgar Allan Poe, which yep. that piqued my interest before he mentioned anything about Mike Flanagan or like gore <laughs> and the horror aspect of it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think yeah, it's no, a win-win. I think, I think you would like. So, yeah, because I don't want to say too much, but the basic premise of the show is like, I think there's that. There's like a compendium of uh, Edgar Allan Poe's pose like writing and mm. uh like poems okay and it's like each episode takes influences from that but then there's like this overarching story okay okay so, i like that so there's like so it uses did you say it's like multiple episodes right yeah so it's eight episodes okay. each episode like the name of the episode is about like is one of like one of them is the midnight dreary one of uh, them is okay. the telltale heart gosh yeah uh, can't remember, really remember but, any but of the other like ones. But there's like same characters and, and a yeah. same plot. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And so it's okay. it's it's very good. Yeah. All right. I'll have to watch it. Is that on Netflix? You said. Mm-hmm. Ooh. All right. I'll give it a shot. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, outside of uh, watching the movie that we're talking about, I haven't really done much. Just just worked, but um, set up the new TV that we got. But uh, this episode should be dropping uh, the same day as my EP. If I've uh, Timed that you timed it correctly. correctly. We'll um, find out. Yeah, so if you like local music, if you like hip hop, if you like the sound of Dylan's voice, yep, if you like me singing and rapping about sad shit, check out uh, <laughs> So Below by Amity on all your streaming services. Anyway, humble plugs aside, uh, I'm keen for this episode, man. This is a movie that uh, we've talked about a lot and for good reason, and a lot of people love this. Listeners of the pod have asked for this for a while, and I forgot, like, just how great it is, how fun it is. It's <laughs> awesome. And, of course, it's one of your personal favourites. Uh-huh. It's the one that is tattooed on my skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scream. Scream. 1996. 96. The one that essentially started it all for my love of horror. I think this is probably one of our earliest experiences of horror. Like, when we, you know, were talking about in our first episode about the first one we remember seeing, this, or Jaws, I think, was up there. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, growing up in the... 90s and 2000s as well like you had all the sequels getting churned out and yeah. um this kind of became just a pop culture icon really like the ghost face mask is essentially the the face of horror cinema yeah well i remember seeing the ghost face mask before the movie or was it was it a mask before the movie because i think it must be because i think the the web like the set designer prop designer literally went to the store and just picked up like a mask that could be found at any store yeah i think I watched an interview on the special features of the Blu-ray, and I think I can't remember the guy's name, but he found a horror mask in like a garage sale or something mm-hmm. like that. And then they found um, the company that yeah stocked them in local retailers, and they bought the rights to it. So then oh, they could just yeah. change the cloak from white to black, yeah, to make it scarier <laughs> and less like KKK. Yeah, 
<laughs> Which, you know, good move. Yes, yes. Um, well, but I mean, yeah. there's nothing scarier than racism. Because <laughs> I did wonder watching it um, for the pod this week, like if this was... Uh, it, sorry, if that face or that mask was around before the film, because I can only remember from the film. But then again, you know, it came we, out yeah, before we, we were Yeah, we weren't so. alive when it came out, so it's hard yeah. to say. We're such babies. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. I feel like everyone who listens to this pod is older than us, so whatever we... Like, <laughs> Whatever we talk about, like, uh, you know, how influential and how popular stuff was that was around this era, we're, we're talking out of our asses because we were still shitting yeah. in diapers and eating yeah, pureed yeah. food. Well, I don't know. I think that's good. Like, it just goes to testament to especially this one of, like, it could have such an effect even on us when we weren't around when it had its big, like, thing. Mm, yeah. But, but yeah, this is this is great movie. Um, huge status in horror and pop culture in general. And even, like... It's a, essentially a love letter to the genre because you've got so many references to other horrors through dialogue as well as just cues. Mm-hmm. Well, um, is this. it a love letter or is it satire? Because that's what it, that's what a lot of people say is it's the best like yeah. satire comedy horror movie because it's taken the piss out of horror movies of the time mm. and like taking their tropes and saying, hey, look how stupid these tropes are. Well, and then also using the same tropes. Well, it was written by Kevin Williamson who... Uh, also did Scream 2 and 4 And I believe he did I Know What You Did Last Summer Yep And um, Dawson's Creek <laughs> Oh right <laughs> And Vampire Diaries actually Whack Yeah um, But this was his first one Yeah And he was heavily influenced by John Carpenter's Halloween Yeah, as, um, as basically everyone was Who yeah. has ever made a horror movie Yeah And when you watch Scream You can see it just littered throughout It's They're literally watching Halloween yeah. You see the VHS on the kitchen counter They mention Michael Myers and yeah, you can definitely get that vibe. So he kind of wrote it um, after I think he was on the phone to a friend when he was younger, home alone, and he saw like an open window, an open door, and he started like freaking out and checking the house. And on the other end of the line, his friend's going like, kick, 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 <laughs> and trying to like freak him out. And he was like, that's actually a great like idea for a tense moment of a horror film. And I that, mean, yeah, someone, that kind of spawned it. Yeah, so he deliberately put in all these homages to Halloween. And I think just because it was directed by Wes Craven, um, the legend that he was, uh, it just naturally had that kind of satirical, like, tongue-in-cheek approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but that whole, like, meta kind of dialogue and everything was just so fresh, yeah, I think, well, at the time. Well, he'd already done something similar in, like, the meta vein with his, um, like, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I don't know if you've seen that one Yeah, yet. yeah. Like that, that was the only other one that Wes did in the... Freddy saga, yeah. right? So that's when he like, well, dipped his toes into the whole meta stuff. That was a, it was a way more meta movie in that it is a movie inside a movie. And Wes <laughs> is in it playing himself. Exactly. Uh, whereas this, it's not like a movie with a movie. It's just a movie that almost exists within our world, mm. but then still follows the same stuff. Yeah, yeah. And interestingly, uh, some other directors considered uh, to adapt the script were Sam Raimi, George <laughs> A. Romero... Quentin Tarantino and Danny Boyle. So some huge names were in, in, the, in the running for this. Um, but yeah, no one I think could have done it, not even Sam Raimi, the way that it came out with Wes's direction. So I'm very glad uh, that he took it on. And uh, yeah, it's definitely stood the test of time. For sure. For context, Nathan just got up and left to uh, shoo a cat away from the kitchen bench. My apologies, that was unprofessional, but it had to be done. No, that was great. Look, it's not, not as bad as the time where I, I made you uh, wait here and entertain the listeners while I went and peed. <laughs> I was thinking I was two coffees deep. True. <laughs> um, but yeah, and an ensemble cast as well. Like Every actor in this is pretty much just as important as each other, which I thought. Or at least, you know... In the first film, um, and a couple of them became kind of legacy characters, but yeah, well, it's it's not like you see in so many other horror movies where the characters or the main characters in it are kind of you can see which ones are there to die. It's like, oh, we just got to pad mm. out to have a body count. Yeah, and these don't make sense. Like, they don't matter to the story. But this one, like, every character has a purpose, and they're all they're all kind of hinted at as being like the killer in a red herring mm. stuff in one way or the other, except for maybe Tate. Yeah, that's what this does beautifully. And I think sort of coming off the back of recently uh, The Thing, it's a, it's a really good that we sort of lean into that um, trope, I guess, in, in old horror of the, the misleading characters. Uh, and because they're all quite different from each other as well, like obviously you still have Sidney Prescott as the 
the final girl and probably one of my favorites. Oh, um, without a doubt. In horror history, yeah. I mean, two of Wes Craven's final girls are my two favorite in the in the genre. You're yeah, like, yeah. Nev Campbell and Heather Lagenkamp. Because she's just such a badass. Like, in if you look at, like, you know, um, Laurie Strode and um, Nancy, what's her fucking name? Thompson? No, Nancy, what's her name in Nightmare on Elm Street? Nancy. I think it, isn't it Thompson? Is it Thompson? I don't okay. Know. God. Could be. I'm going to get fired from this podcast. <laughs> um, like, you know, and all, all these people, um, like Alice in, in Friday the 13th, they're all kind of like victims in the first one, and then they don't really become that resolute character till sequels or maybe like the final like, act. Of yeah, the, the, first the very they, end of it is them becoming strong. Yeah, where they do like the final circuit and then they build up the nerve to fight back. But from the get go, yeah, Sydney Prescott is just fighting A back badass. and has like cool like comments and yeah and, i mean uh, i guess it's because like the character of uh yeah sydney has already been through some like traumatic shit and so yeah, yeah. this is just like oh it's just another it's not the first time she's experienced trauma in her life mm. and i mean p- perhaps a worse trauma you know yeah she's already a resilient character and i love it kind of becomes this running joke that um throughout the franchise whenever like a new ghost face killer comes along it's kind of like like this Exasperated sigh yeah, Like as like, soon as she like First what, hears about uh, it because, And because the, One of the other things I love about like The franchise Is that it can Sort of stay fresh Because built mm. into Its core Is that Like the killers Always die And it's always New killers So it's not like You're relying on Some supernatural being That is going to yeah. come back It's just It's just more people Putting on a mask mm. And mm. so it's like She's like Really another fucking Copycat killer Yeah yeah. <laughs> like, which, let it be Yeah Which is kind of funny Uh yeah, so you said before, Neve Campbell, um, who was in The Craft, Courtney Cox, of course, of Friends fame, David Arquette of Eight-Legged Freaks. Yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing that on TV when I was a kid, and it was so shit, but it was fun. Yeah, it's, it's um, a good movie. And he's, he's, what, he's my favourite character in this. Like, He's just such a funny, strange I can see that. character. He, he definitely makes strange choices in acting. Like, he's always got like these shifty like pursed eyes <laughs> it's always like, squinting and he's yeah. always like unsure of himself and i don't know if that's just the actor like i think so i've I mean, only seen him in in the scream franchise and eight-legged freaks yeah i don't know he's in a couple of other stuff but nothing's jumping to mind but then even just like the innocence of the character like yeah. he he kind of goes against type like he's the the cop or the police officer of the movie mm. but whereas his boss is like smoking a, a like a cigarette or something he's yeah. like Eating on a strawberry ice cream. Yeah, yeah. Like he's, yeah, he's the deputy, but he's very much still like a kid at heart in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is so funny. Um, Skeet Ulrich also uh, was in the craft. I don't remember him being in the craft, but Ooh. I probably haven't seen it for over a decade. Mm. Um, so my memory memory may just not be serving me well. And of course, the man, <laughs> Matthew Lillard, Shaggy himself, obviously. Obviously, my yeah. favorite character in this he, fucking movie. He is definitely the best performance in this movie. I'm sure it depends who you ask, because okay. even he admits that, like, what the fuck was he doing in this movie? Well, like, why did he go so crazy and turn everything up to eleven and just he? He was wild. Yeah, but you need that. Like, that is what made his role timeless. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it like contrast so perfectly to Skeet Ulrich's like deadpan creepy serious performance mm. and then you got this crazy guy who's just yeah. yelling and laughing he's just this goofy unhinged character and yet somehow so likable even when it's revealed he's the killer I mean just charisma man yeah exactly. people with high charisma can get away with anything even murder and he's uh also he, he got that Sort of role by chance. I think he was. Yeah, I fucking read that. That's crazy. Yeah. He was like dropping his girlfriend off for an audition in the same building. Yeah, not, not for the same movie. And then the casting director saw him and was like, "Hey, he looks mm. interesting." Or I guess maybe because he was already an actor at that point, so maybe yeah. she maybe recognized him. I was like, "Hey, like, why don't you try out for this part in the movie?" And he mm. fucking got it. Yeah, that's so funny. Um, and I think a lot of his lines I read were improvised as well, particularly in the final act. I know a lot of them were. Like, I think the most famous one is when. The, the phone accidentally <laughs> slips out of Billy's hand and hits him. And he's like, you hit me with a phone, you dick. <laughs> it's just like sobbing and snot yeah. everywhere. It's it's the improvised lines in films I find always the most memorable. I mean, look at yeah. fucking Here's Johnny yeah. from The Shining. Um, he's just, yeah, he was born for this role. There's not a single movie he's not good in. Yeah. Like maybe it's just 
every single movie he's in, he gives 110%. Doesn't yeah. matter how shit the movie is, mm. like a lot of people say 13 ghosts or like, you know, Scooby Doo. Yeah. Like he gives it his all and extra. Mm, mm. Just embraces it and goes for broke. And uh, Roger Jackson was the voice on the phone. Uh, whenever you hear the killers using the voice changer. Uh, and the cast never met him in person. They only <laughs> ever spoke to him on the phone. So I, I like that. That's kind of cool. It's like hiding the creature design until the reveal in filming kind of thing. But not. I mean, smart, because have you seen a picture of Roger Jackson? No, like, no. Nothing against him. He's just an average looking guy. Like, there's no way you could be scared of him. <laughs> but, yeah, his, okay. but his voice is so, like, velvety and scary. Yeah, it's like Jeremy Irons, a scar or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I also read that he also was just a placeholder. Yeah, like, okay. He, they used him on set. And we're, but like, oh, yeah, we'll just use this for the time being mm. to, you know, till we find someone sort of better. Yeah. And they just realized, no, he's perfect. No, yeah, we're just okay. going to leave it as him. Yeah. Nice. This film was made on a budget of 14 million and it made 173 million, which yeah. is wild. Wild, especially considering when they released it. Yeah. Five days before Christmas. Yes. <laughs> not, not a time when you usually release horror movies. Mm, mm. Which, you know, as we've learned from doing this pod, it seems like that in history at least, has been some of the most profitable time times yeah. to, to release a horror. Because it's like, it comes out of the water. No one expects it. Yeah, well, it, I mean, I guess it doesn't have any competition. Like, nobody yeah. else is releasing horror at Christmas. So, they're like, mm. all right, we're going to do it. And if it's a standout one, then it really takes off. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I believe uh, it was the highest grossing slasher of all time until the 2018 Halloween. Oh, my. I don't That'd know if that is sort of adjusting for inflation. Because uh, I think some newer lists now, it's not even in like the top 50. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. Because I imagine Psycho would have earned a fair amount, mm. right? I can't remember what we said it earned back in episode one of this fucking podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, just remember that a lot of these iconic films that we talk about on here that were sort of pre-2000 were not considered hits when no, they dropped. Cult classics. Yeah. They kind of developed a following um, like decades later, whereas this one just was like a wildfire of word of mouth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, with a lot of sort of smart decisions from the studios as well. Uh, but a bit of background, it was shot with an anamorphic lens on 35mm film. What the hell does that mean? So that essentially is, uh, it, it stretches a widescreen shot to fill the full frame of the 35mm. Okay. So it just, everything looks like it's uh, kind of stretched vertically. A oh, bit right. more, and it just gave this really sort of claustrophobic feel to I a lot of the that. shots, which was an interesting choice. Uh, it had the working title, Scary Movie, which makes sense because <laughs> makes the sense. term Scary Movie is used a lot in dialogue. Yeah, and it also makes sense that, like, I guess the whole core of the movie is that satire element of making fun of scary movies while itself also being one. Yeah. So what's a better name for one than Scary Movie? Mm, mm. And um, I think their decision against that came from the feeling that people would interpret that as a comedy. Even though we watch it now and it does have a lot of comedic elements or comic relief, um, it, it was definitely better uh, going for something simple like Scream. Mm. And, and uh, then also we wouldn't have then had the you know, yeah. the whole scary movie the iconic movie. parody. It's been too long since I've seen that. Is is Scary Movie One essentially just a parody of Scream, or do they still throw in some other references from other horrors in there? Uh, well, obviously it's other other horror movie references, but it's it's like every scary movie movie. It's a mashup of Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah, okay, I thought so, so. So it's taking two horror movies, putting them together, and then maybe throwing. Some other references out there. Mm, mm, yeah, nice. Like the fucking Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what I thought was a great uh, creative decision um, from a marketing standpoint was that um, they pitched Drew Barrymore as a main character in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then when she's killed off in the opening scene, it just created this shock value that uh, nobody saw coming that um, um, I believe was inspired by Psycho. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say very in the vein of Psycho with like killing off your most bankable star. Yeah. Except they took it to the next level and did it in the first fucking 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, which so, is great. And I can't actually think of another film that's done that outside, like that soon in the film, outside mm. of um, Friday 2, where Alice is like this final girl from the, the first one and she survives. And in the opening scene, she's killed in her kitchen. Yeah, chapter well, two or part two. I mean, th- that that only sort of has that effect because she was the star of the first movie. It's mm. not like they got this super bankable actor actress. Oh, well, that's true. And then killed them. Yeah, true. 
And uh, I thought that was interesting too as well that, you know, they call him Billy Loomis, uh, obviously inspired by Sam Loomis from, Mm -hmm. well, Halloween, I guess, as well as Psycho. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Loomis is just probably one of the most recycled names for characters in in horror. Uh, And Skeet Ulrich was actually stabbed with the umbrella point yeah. when uh, Sydney sort of bursts out of the... Is it Sydney? She mm-hmm. bursts out of yep. the closet or whatever? Yeah, apparently they missed the protective vest he was wearing and caught, like, the scar or scar tissue of open-heart surgery he had when he was younger. Yeah, I think he had, like, wires in his chest. Yeah. Like, so when he's kind surgery. of wincing in pain uh, in that shot, uh, he's <laughs> very much feeling it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, not sometimes things go wrong on set and it works out for the better because obviously that's the take they use in the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's like that famous scene in... I think it's Django Unchained where Leo's at the dinner table yep. and like, slams his fist down, cuts it on glass and just keeps going. That's... I thought you were going to say the famous scene in Lord of the Rings, like Two Towers where he kicks the helmet and breaks his toe. Oh, that's less impressive. <laughs> less? What do you mean? The man broke his toe. Yeah, but a broken toe. It's not as visceral as like... Laceration on your hand and you're spraying blood everywhere with this Have you vehement ever broken performance a toe? at a dinner table. I mean, I haven't, but it looks very painful. My father broke a toe recently. Um, I think he stubbed it in the middle of the night going to the bathroom, and it was like at a right angle to his foot. Exactly, and we've already established that your father is an absolute man. <laughs> <laughs> so he probably doesn't feel pain. Oh, God. Uh, and another thing that really stands out with this film that was probably considered a first at the time uh, in this genre is the 42 minute final act. So yeah, the whole thing takes place at like the party at the end, but it doesn't. Yeah. I don't know the way it's sort of paced and set. It doesn't really feel like a large chunk because there's a, yeah. there's so much chopping and changing and like it jumps between characters and locations mm. within the house that it doesn't feel like it's just in this one place for too long. Yeah, I was going to say it's probably a credit to the fact that they've got this lovable and also believable ensemble cast. So. The fact that there's all these great actors playing these uh, sort of investive characters, um, and then you also have the red herrings. Like by that point, you you don't even really know who the killers are. Yeah, um, I, I or mean, even that there's two. To be yeah. honest, yeah, that's exactly right. You don't. You, at this point, the idea of two killers is, I mean, pretty unheard of. Mm, mm. And uh, the only person you know it's not is Sydney. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It was shot that that final act was shot over twenty one days. <laughs> Uh, and they were so uh, stoked that they finally wrapped it up that all the crew got shirts made up with I Survived Scene 118 <laughs> printed on them. <laughs> and it just kind of became this uh, this in-joke mm-hmm. um, for the cast and crew, which I thought was really funny because, you know, if you look at a standard horror, let's say it's 90 minutes and you got three half-hour acts, you know, the fact that you've got 42 minutes capturing an audience's attention for that long um, and still have a twist at the end is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, testament testament to good writing and good acting. And good direction. Good pacing, yeah, with the beats in this film, for sure. Uh, but you mentioned before um, about just how original and unique Ghostface is as a, as a horror villain, as a killer. Because yeah. like, we just touched on the fact that having two killers is relatively new uh, in this genre, aside from just having like a gang of people, like yep. you know, The Hills Have Eyes or Deliverance or what have you. Um, so the fact that there's two killers and that it's a different killer in each film, mm-hmm. like Ghostface, the character is not an actual person. It's a look, which is like, I, I can't think of another <laughs> film that's done that. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's such a good device to use because mm. it's such a simple costume. It's, it's iconic because it's instantly recognizable, Yeah, but also it has the benefit of being anyone. Like, yeah. And they play with, I mean, it, Throughout some of the movies, they kind of treat it as if it is the same. Like in a lot of the, like the, like number six and seven, they reference, oh, I finally get to talk to you. It's like, well, mm. you haven't talked to him yet, but the ghost face has. Yeah, and, yeah. But then they get to play with like, oh, yep, yeah, so in the first one, it's two. In other movies, there's only one. In mm. most recent ones, spoilers, it's been out for a year. There's three. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, It gets pretty elaborate, but that's part of the beauty of it. And because you just can't picture it, like if if you were watching the Halloween saga for the first time, and the second or the third one is a different dude in like mechanics overalls and a mask, <laughs> like it's just it wouldn't work. But with this, it somehow does, and I I don't know how. I don't know if it's because all the killers, when they're revealed in later installments, um, have like believable enough motive and they're convincing enough actors. Like it's 
you, you can go along with it, but it just works and it's beautiful. Yeah, well, I think another part too is like all of them have some sort of connection to Sydney or to the main person in the movie. Mm. And so it could be anyone, but it usually also has something to do and like some emotional connection to the main character. Yeah. And I believe personally, it's not too far-fetched either in any of the reveals. Like sometimes you watch some sagas and it's like the bold and the beautiful where it's like someone's <laughs> cousin's neighbor is the new killer. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, I mean, yeah. there's obviously there's some amount of suspension of disbelief. Like oh, yeah. you have to be open to the idea that, yep, this person who has grown up a normal person their whole life will then just turn to killing people, mm-hmm. uh, including her cousin, because she just wants internet fame. You know, yeah. There's a suspension of disbelief there, but none of them are so outrageous that and, it's not believable. Yeah, and the fact that they'll kill people in Sydney's circle just to like freak her out when really they only give a shit about killing her. Mm, yeah. And um, I guess the twist of having two killers as well means they can taunt them and be at like opposite ends of the house, like the strangers yeah. kind of thing, which is always nice when you know you see... A victim will be on the phone to Ghostface, presumably, and then, uh, you know, in the background, like, another Ghostface, like, crosses a threshold without a phone to their ear or anything. Yeah. I also think it gives the the whole movie some credit of, like, you watch Friday the 13th or Halloween, it's like, people say, oh, they could teleport because how could they possibly be from here to there? Mm. Whereas this movie does that. It's like, well, how could they go from there to there or whatever? It's, well, because there's two. Yeah, like it gives yeah. it so much more freedom to pull shit like that off, but then also still keep it within the realm of believability. Yeah, yeah, very smart. And also, I think probably one of the, the first examples of this, which I think became a big thing in the '90s, was having killers sort of attractive and likable. <laughs> like, yeah, you're not just these, you know, grotesque in- inbred um, hillbillies. Yeah, yeah, it was one of the first to do that. I think, which I is mean, interesting. Norman Bates, <laughs> he's an attractive man. Well, that's. Very true, actually. Um, <laughs> but this also does have a lot of nods to Psycho, so maybe that's where it got some of that inspiration from yeah, as well. Yeah, true. Because it's literally an outfit or a costume that they found somewhere that was available in retailers, um, they use that in the franchise. So each you know anniversary or Halloween or when there's another kill, um, people just start dressing up mm-hmm. as Ghostface. So then it's obviously like Needle in a Haystack where the actual one is. Um, like, for example, the fucking opening scene in 2. Yeah. When they're at the theater watching Stab and they're all like dressed as Ghostface. So it can literally kill someone in the theater and they all just cheer it thinking it's part of the act. Yeah, 100%. So that also I thought was very smart. But uh, I suppose getting into the actual movie, the actual story a bit. Uh, so Zed in the fictional town of Woodsboro, would you say it's California? Uh, I've never been to America, so I couldn't tell you. Is it ever like explicitly said? Or? No, it, I don't think it is. It's it's meant to be sort of a ambiguous, mm. you know, s- sort of small town on the outskirts of a city somewhere. Yeah, I think it's I think it's shot in California at the least. Yeah, probably looks like it anyway. Um, and I think like Scream Six was the first one like not set in Woodsboro, wasn't it? When they go to New York. Yeah, probably. Well, I don't because number two is in like a college, but I don't know if that's a college in Woodsboro. Yeah, I thought it was, but don't remember. Uh, and it's very 90s. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, very much This so. one, um, you know, the clothing, like the, the baggy cargos and the band shirts and everything, the the music that they play and even like the soundtrack to this film, mm-hmm. the fact that there's a video store. <laughs> Man, I miss video yeah, one, stores. Yeah, one of the characters is literally someone who works at a video store and that's, that's his character. <laughs> yeah, dude, Randy, the movie nerd, he's... So fun. Um, I don't think I shouted him out, actually, when we are calling out the Jamie cast. Jamie Kennedy? Uh, Jamie Kennedy, yeah. I don't know what else he's been in apart from Scream 2, but um, he's uh, he's a lot of fun. He's very good. He, he, I read that he was cast because of his ability to like improvise lines. Yeah, and okay. Wes Craven just like, yeah, he's good at improvising. I think he's funny. He's perfect for the character. Yeah, nice. Respect. Um, but he was also a very good red herring, the fact that he knows his shit like, yeah. when it comes to horror movies. Like, he's just crazy enough that... It could be him. Could be like a fanatic. And then I think... gone off the rails. Like, he, he's all right in this first movie. I think he really shines in the second one. Like, unfortunate that he gets killed, but mm, mm. he's so much better. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely... Uh, he's a, Well, he is a lead character in two yeah. uh, as one of the survivors from one. But um, yeah, definitely can like uh, move and breathe in the role a bit more, which is yeah. nice. I don't know if they gave him a bit more freedom or whether a lot of his lines in the sequel were improvised. But I don't know, but he does a whole scene with an English accent and it's not... Yeah, not fucking brought up at all. He just decides to do an English accent for a whole scene. Yeah, 
And I love the meta aspect of it, like the fact that two revolves around horror sequels and they're like yeah. in the film school like class talking about some of the best sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that I think a lot of people overlook is that Billy makes just as many horror references as Randy, but very few people suspect him except for Randy. <laughs> like, because he mentions like fucking, he, the first time he's introduced, he mentions, oh, I was watching The Exorcist and I thought of you. Yeah, true. <laughs> I, I would get, not take that as a compliment. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's like a subtle, I guess even to be honest, like a subtle, uh, you know, hint that, yeah, he does spend a lot of his time watching horror movies, but he's mm. not as outwardly expressive about it. Yeah. And yeah. so it's, you're not as... Like, you're not really thinking it's him just yet? Yeah, it's more sort of offhanded, whereas whenever Randy brings up horror, he's making a point. Yeah. And but I then, think... Oh, sorry. But then it's also so interesting and weird how they do it because he's, like, very clearly one of the biggest red herrings in the movie mm. because they set him up, like, the fucking phone falls out of his pocket and they yeah. arrest him. It's like, well, surely it's him. Yeah. But then the simple fact that it must be him makes you think, well, then it can't be him because yeah. he's the obvious one. Yeah, it feels like it's too spoon-fed it, to it's be like true. A, it's like a, a really good double bluff red herring. Mm, I like that. Because I remember the, like one of the first times watching this, because that happens, it's in like you know, all, like the first act pretty much. Mm. And I was like, oh, really? Like, Why would you do that? Um, and then obviously you get the twist that there's two killers. Mm. But even then, like, Stu is the real twist, I think, because he never really references horror or never... He, he's like the most chill, kind of easygoing, fun mm. guy. Um, that was definitely a nice, nice play. Uh, but Billy is just such a brooding, edgy character who almost never smiles. Yeah, he like, he does a perfect job of playing creepy, but also that little bit sexy. Yeah, <laughs> like like he mysterious. Yeah, a li- if he wasn't as good looking, then he would be very creepy. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is. The opening scene is so great. And I, I think it's just because it does so many things that uh, horror tropes, but it does it different enough that it's unique. Like mm-hmm. the, the popcorn on the stove as opposed to a boiling kettle for tension, mm-hmm. um, for one. You know, the fact that, uh, what's her name, Drew Barrymore's character? Casey Becker? Casey? It's definitely Casey. The fact that she's like on the phone to the killer and then, uh, you know, you get clues and dialogue that, uh, they can see her mm-hmm. by saying like what she's dressing like or where she is in the house, things like that. Well, I, I just like the reveal of like, yeah, okay, there's this sweet sort of innocent, you know, back and forth between over the phone. Mm. And then the twist of when he says, I want to know who I'm looking at. Like even that is such a good yeah, like moment of suspense. It's like, oh shit. Yeah. Hang up on me again. I'll gut you like a fish. Yeah. <laughs> and the horror movie trivia with the phone's a nice touch. Um, the fact that you've got like old uh, horror movies on the bench, things like that. And they have like horror movie rules. Like, I, I can't remember. It's because Randy goes through his like top three. Whereas, <laughs> what is it? Don't have sex, don't do drugs, and don't say I'll be right back. And yeah. then, well, do drugs slash get drunk. Yeah. And then yeah. don't say I'll be right back. And then, which in, is literally where we got the fucking ending of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. And I like in two, uh, when you've got Sarah Michelle Gala kind of in Casey Becker's role in that film. And she's like, you know, you never go upstairs. Uh, like, <laughs> Like, it's more switched on, mm-hmm. and um, the fact that she ends up dead. Anyway, it's yeah, well, uh, I, a nice it, twist. On on topic of, like, the going upstairs, I really like how they do set up in one of the conversations that uh, Sydney has on the phone. Mm. Even she's saying how she doesn't like horror movies because it's always some big-breasted bimbo mm. that runs upstairs when she should be running out the front door. Yeah. So yeah. she, like, she calls that out, but then literally moments later, she does the same <laughs> thing because... Now that she's in the situation and the door's locked, well, shit, she's going to run upstairs. Yeah. Like, yeah. it does such a good job of making fun of the tropes that were, like, set at the time. Yeah. But then still using them effectively and having a reason to. Mm. Oh, that's another one is yelling out, who's there? Yeah. Because, <laughs> in theory, if it's your house, you know it better than them. Just be silent. Turn the lights off. <laughs> Fuck with them. Home field advantage. Yeah. Well, literally for... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't work in this case because it's fucking Stu's house. <laughs> what a house, too. Like, uh, it's just... It's all like old wood and huge in mm-hmm. this like isolated farmhouse, two story. It's, it's perfect beautiful. too because the way they filmed it is pretty much as the house is. Like wow. usually in horror movies, well not horror movies, usually in movies, mm. if they have a set in a movie, it's all disjointed so they can oh yeah, film this bit here and film that bit there, but sound like, stages. They don't, yeah, like they don't connect. Whereas yeah. this one, it is filmed in a real house and they pretty much kept everything room for room. Yeah. So it makes complete like spatial sense of, oh yeah, they come out of the room and it leads down the stairs. Mm. And, like it mm. actually does. Yeah. And I like when Casey's on the phone with the killer 
and <laughs> they talk about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, the guy with the knives, right? And she's like, yeah, the first one was great, but the rest sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Wes wanted to cut that because he thought it'd make him sound like an egomaniac. But uh, Kevin Williamson, the writer, was like, no, I assure you, this is what fans agree with. Like, yeah. If you leave this in, like people will laugh at that because it's true. Yeah. And I mean, I that was yeah, funny. He, did, he didn't write it, you know? Yeah. He's, he's, Kevin Williamson is just spitting the truth. Yeah, that was that was great. And um, yeah, first like, what, 10, 15 minutes of the movie, uh, a dude is tied to a chair and gutted like a fish and mm-hmm. then she's stabbed in slow-mo and hanged from a tree. That's it. I think it is definitely one of, if not the best horror movie openings, like yeah. opening sequences ever. Well, I think I read that they were even uh, concerned about having that scene of her getting stabbed in slow-mo. They wanted to sort of cut that to like half its length um, mm-hmm. for the rating, but uh, I'm sure it would have been R regardless of all the blood. <laughs> yeah. But um, what an opening. What an opening. And then her parents come home, of course, and, and they can like hear her on the phone as she's like gurgling and moaning. and Yeah, it's pretty wild. intense. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think that's something that this film does really well, uh, or even maybe just Wes Craven in general, is while it is sort of like borderline horror comedy, they're very much uh, extremes at both ends. Like, when it's horror, it's fucking <laughs> gore. Um, and when it's comedy, it's like very quick, like meta, witty humor. Yeah, well, I, I was trying to think about that just before, of like what sets this apart from other horror comedies. And I kind of think it's because... At its core, it's a horror, and all the situations are horrifying. Mm. But the comedy always comes from the characters, not the situations. So it's not like Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, where the comedy comes from the situations of someone falls in a wood chipper. Yeah. And, and like, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, It's nothing like that happens in this movie. All the comedy comes from the characters, the things they say. Yeah. Matthew Lillard. Yeah. You're not laughing at the kills. Yeah. You're not laughing at the movie. You're laughing at the characters. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point. Uh, and then we get introduced to Sydney Prescott, um, Neve Campbell's character, and uh, you find out that her mother was raped and murdered just about a year ago. It's coming up to the anniversary, and she testified as an eyewitness, right? And she sort of convicted this guy, Cotton Weary. Um, Played who, by Lee Schreiber. Yeah. Strange choice, but did well in, in the sequel. Yeah, I think that's such a... I mean, he got lucky. He just He probably showed up for one day, mm. filmed literally one scene, and... Cool, that's that yeah. in a very good horror movie. And then, oh, they're making a sequel? Cool, bring his character back. And mm. then he plays a bigger part. And then he's killed in the opening of the third one. Yeah. But, I mean, his his role in 2 was very well played because mm. you, even though he was sort of acquitted, you think that he's the killer and there's so many red herrings like being literally covered in blood when he bumps <laughs> into fucking Courtney Cox's character. Um, but, yeah, so th- coming up to his anniversary, there's a bit of tension between her and Billy... Uh, because I don't think they've had sex yet, so mm-hmm. there's this like underlying sexual tension, but also, um, you know, because she's off and and she's thinking about her mum, and he just wants her to get over it. Like my mum walked out when I was a kid, and I'm fine. Um, it definitely like he's kind of a likable character because of you know Skeet Ulrich is a charismatic guy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he says some things that are questionable and dickish. Like, mm. oh, it's been a year. Get over it already. It's like, dude, her mum was killed. Yeah. <laughs> Calm down. Yeah. And, I mean, you find out why, I guess, in the big reveal at the end that turns out he and Stu killed her mother. Yeah. Uh, because, what was it? She was having an affair with... His father. Billy's dad, yeah, which drove his mum away and kind of ended both relationships. Yeah. Um, which is a very good motive, you know? Mm. I like it. Just Whereas Stu was somehow roped into it. Yeah, <laughs> Stu just doesn't have a motive. Yeah, just a interesting. yes-man. Um, and yeah, you mentioned before about like the sort of the comedy not really coming from the struggles, but <laughs> it's, just, it's I don't know what it is, but like in Scream films, man, they're like kind of funny. The fact that like <laughs> Ghostface can be like kicked in the balls or trip over an armchair and you get caught in a door and stuff like that, but... The Ghostface killers are always, like, very fast. Yeah. And very believable. Like, it, the pursuits indoors are never, like, phony and it doesn't look like it's staged. Yeah. Like, they're, like, running full speed trying to get this person. I think that believability um, makes it a bit more forgivable. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that, you know, when um, Ghostface is with Tatum in the garage and she's, like, throwing beer <laughs> yeah. bottles at it, like... Little things like that. I don't know. It's 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 stuff you would actually do, like in fucking Saving Private Ryan, where he throws like his helmet at the guy yeah. <laughs> when he's out of ammo. Yeah, I mean anything you got. Yeah, yeah, but it just works because it's it's more natural that way. I think. 
And um, I love after Sid's first brush with one of the ghost face killers. Um, and she opens the front door to Dewey holding yeah. the mask and they scream at each other. Yeah. <laughs> Dewey's so lovable. Um, that was that was brilliant. Nice to take the edge off after such an intense scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get this really weird kind of dynamic between um, Gail Weathers, the journalist, and uh, Dewey, this like young, kind of innocent deputy uh, police officer. But their relationships, like, because he is kind of a close friend of Sid's being Tatum's uh, brother, um, and uh, Gail having written like a book about the death of um, Sidney's mother and lying a lot in it. It's, it's a really weird triangle between these mm-hmm. guys where she trusts and loves Dewey, uh, but, you know, he's falling for Gail Weathers, um, who's kind of like this uh, megalomaniac, <laughs> only in it for the fame. Um, and it's kind of like a harmful relationship to Sydney, yet they kind of become legacy characters. Yeah, and eventually they sort of become friends. Yeah, it just somehow works. I mean, trauma brings people together, you know? Yeah, I mean, it takes like three movies to get there, but <laughs> um, they do become friends. Uh, and I really like as well the principal red herring. I mean, we've dropped that word a lot in this episode, but it's just something it, it, does, it does so well. so well, like the thing. Um, and apparently that whole sequence wasn't originally in the script, um, but some of the executive producers wanted to add it in because they thought the amount of time between the opening sequence of Casey Becker being killed and the next death was too long. Yep. So What sequence are you talking about? When the uh, So after the first death of Casey and mm-hmm. Steve... Um, and those kids like run around the halls with the ghost face mask scare and everyone as a prank. And then he's like in the office threatening them with the fucking oh, scissors. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, and then turns out he gets killed. Yeah. Um, which was a really cool scene. It was pretty tense. And yeah, I mean, it's it's a good... Uh, it's like a standout death scene. Some, mm. Sometimes in movies you see like people dying. It's like, well, they they live for this. Yeah. It, like, yeah. it always looks fun having a death scene, but some peop- some actors just do it really well. Yeah. And even though that was kind of just thrown in, um, you know, to, to, I guess, fill the script with a bit more action, uh, he's like a likable enough character that it's a meaningful death because he's like defending, you know, Sydney and saying how insensitive these kids are mm. for playing a joke when someone in their classes died kind of thing. Yeah. It'll, um, you it'll, respect the man. It also helps that it's played by the Fonz, which people love. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's true. Uh, and also the school bathroom attack, um, you know, the iconic one where Ghostface like standing on the toilet. Yeah. That reminded me a lot of the 2018 Halloween. Um, and I wonder if that paid homage to this. I know it was David Gordon Green and not Carpenter, but I wonder if that sort of gave a nod to this because there were so many references to the OG Halloween in the first Scream film. Um, like in the 2018 Halloween when they're at like the gas station, he drops the fucking teeth like over yeah, the, yeah. the cubicle door. Uh, I thought that was just a nice parallel. Uh, and of course, the <laughs> Freddy janitor in the school hall. That oh, was yeah. funny. That I mean, it's funny. It's, it's just it's still weird. Like it's it's kind of an out of place cameo, but yeah. I guess it it's only if you know that's Wes Craven that it mm. feels out of place. Because in the first nightmare, isn't that the one where there's like the school hall monitor chick and she like uh one of the characters sort of warps into her, yeah yeah her being pretty so yeah it was kind of like a, a nice nice nod there uh as the film kind of develops there's like a few kills that kind of stand out but i think the best one that i think i probably mentioned in the top fives episode when you brought up this film was the garage door kill yeah it's the one that kind of makes the least sense but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is the, I just mean, most, the, most iconic, The right? auto sensor doesn't just stop. <laughs> well, this was the 90s, man. They didn't have auto sensors. They didn't have safety features yeah, back then. Yeah, true. Probably had elevator doors severing limbs and still using like asbestos, that. probably. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's so wacky, but also one of the most famous deaths, I think, of the 90s in, what, in horror cinema. I mean, in terms of the first time I watched this movie, obviously, because I was so young and it traumatized me, mm. I didn't watch all of it. And yeah, so okay. this is the main scene that stuck out to me as mm. remembering it. And so it this scene terrified me when I was a child. Yeah. This is the scene that scared me. It's quite gory too, because I'm if I remember correctly, they show like a close up of the head getting like squashed. Yeah. Yeah. As it reaches. I the mean top. it's gory in a way that like there's no blood or anything like that. But it's the Yeah, just like the idea of the neck snapping and then mm. they do show a shot later of the aftermath of her just like fucking mangled body there. Yeah. And I think I read that she was actually in that dog flap as the door went up because they had to nail her shirt 
to the door so she could hold herself up there. Well, that makes sense because there's a scene of it going up and she's like kicking and screaming. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, pretty gnarly. Yeah. The 90s. Uh, yeah, so they're at this party. Everyone's at Stu's house. Billy and Sid finally do it and uh, he gets stabbed after having sex. I, supposedly. I, yeah, another... Do you mean supposedly stabbed or supposedly had sex? <laughs> Well, d- does he actually get stabbed? Because he no, says he later it's no, like corn yeah. syrup or whatever. He doesn't get stabbed in the slightest. Because so, cause don't you actually see like Ghostface run in with a knife and like plunge it into him? So maybe yeah. it was just a fucking toy knife that stabbed a packet of corn syrup. I don't know. No, it's, I mean, because it's the way it's set up is he's facing the other way and Ghostface runs in and then slashes him. Well, I don't know, slashes or stabs. Mm. But yeah, you just he cuts it himself and just, oh, blood on me. Yeah, no. okay. And then just plays a, a dead guy for a while. Yeah, yeah. It's like, because um, in Nightmare, if I remember correctly, the the first one, there's kind of this tension between uh, Nancy and Johnny Depp's character where like mm-hmm. they also are in a relationship and haven't had sex yet. So that was a, an interesting kind of parallel there. Uh, and then you get that famous scene of, of Randy and co watching Halloween and they're all crowded around the TV on the couch and yelling at the TV to turn around and all this kind of thing. And, uh, cause before this point you've had, um, Gail like stick a, a video camera out of the TV, right. To watch them mm-hmm. and keep an eye on things. But there's that like 30 second delay to the van yeah. where her camera guy's watching. And of course you get the scene where, um, everyone's left to see the, the principal's body, <laughs> <laughs> at the school um, So Randy's there Drunk and alone Watching Halloween A scene when Michael creeps up Behind Laurie And then Ghostface Is like yeah. creeping up Behind him I mean that's gonna be The most meta scene In the movie Yeah Like, yeah. like the actor's name is, ja- is literally Jamie So And he's screaming mm. out Turn around Jamie He's right behind you Yeah It's so good And it's it almost works On like three levels Because he's Like Yelling at, at the TV What audiences Were probably Yelling at the big screen When yep. Scream was playing and then, so. but then it's also like that's what Gail and the cameraman are yelling to him. Yeah, yeah, like, that's hey, right. Fuckhead, turn around. It's just yeah, it's so good. Um, and I also love that when he's watching that scene and uses that famous like Halloween sound effect, like where the strings pick up um, when Michael appears in the shadows. Mm. That plays in like the scream score when yeah. Ghostface <laughs> pops up behind the couch. Yeah. So that was that was beautiful. Um, and then when the camera dude gets killed. Uh, and he's like on the roof of the van. I forgot this scene when I was watching it this week. So when Gail's like back in the van and she's like looking at the windscreen and there's like all this greeny dark shit. I forgot it was blood. <laughs> and she like turns green. It's not green. Oh, I thought it was like kind of greeny. Maybe because through it you can see like trees or something. Yeah. But, and she like puts the wipers on. It's just all this like <laughs> thick red blood. That was that was cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was a I nice can't touch. I, can't, I saw a, I saw like a, the stat of how much. I think it was like fifty gallons of blood. Maybe Good they Lord. used for the filming. I mean, nothing can compare to like the Evil Dead and yeah, the, like the Shining and stuff like that. But yeah, true. Still, still a fair amount of blood mm, mm. dripping down a windscreen. Yeah, yeah, because it was like it was thick. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't like the dyed water of Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> uh, spewing out of the the mattress. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then, um, you know, Sid's coming back to the house. And at this point, fucking Randy's been stabbed. Dewey's been stabbed. A couple people are dead. Um, and I like when <laughs> Stu rocks up as well. It's, it's, um, Stu and Randy out the front, right? <laughs> and they're both trying to convince her they're not the killer. So she's like, fuck you both. Yeah. I mean, that I just, the door. that just goes again to like, she's such a good character because she makes the smart decision. Oh yeah. You don't yeah. know who to trust. Fucking trust no one. Yeah. Who, just, all right. Unfortunately, you might be leaving someone out there with a killer, but you'll, yeah. you'll be safe. Got to look after number one. Yeah. And then when sort of Billy comes in and it's revealed that they're the killers, they kind of just uh, drop the facade mid-conversation with her. It's it's weird. He kind of has this like monologue about having no motive. Like, why do people always think killers need a motive? But then he confesses his motive. Was, yeah. I thought that was a bit strange. I mean... I, yeah, I don't know. It's it's like they're going for it and Stu doesn't have a motive, but he very clearly does. Maybe he's just using it as a... Well, I mean, crazy people don't know they're crazy. So maybe mm. in his mind, he doesn't have a motive, but yeah. he does. Yeah, I mean, methodical enough to kill her mother a year ago. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What, what are their like, long-term goals? Because I don't think they planned the movie events to happen back when they killed the mother. Well, I mean, Stu just happened to host a party... On the night of the anniversary, no, of I mean day. they didn't plan it like a year ago, like oh, when they right. killed the mother. Surely they didn't plan. All right, 
now that we've killed her, in a year from now, we're oh, going to okay. torment and, and her daughter and blame yeah. the father. Yeah. I think maybe, oh, it's just coming up to a year. Yeah, let's do it again. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, let's go down the line. Let's make a sequel. Gotcha, yeah. No, that's fair. Um, and then fucking Billy and Stu just have this funny... Who are completely in love with each other, right? Surely. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's like a subtext there and so much that the scary movie turns it into yeah. actual text that yeah. like they love each other. Yeah. There's, there's definitely something there. And they just have this great dynamic between the two. Um, they've like planned where to stab each other so it won't be fatal, but believable enough for the cops. <laughs> yep. Um, and they're like bickering between each other. Obviously, you get a lot of those awesome lines from Stu. Mm-hmm. Um I love the fucking, I'm feeling woozy here. He's like stabbed him like five times. <laughs> I use that. Qu- that's probably my most used quote from this movie. I've I think. heard you say it yeah. many and, times. Anytime something's off with me, I'm like, I'm feeling woozy here. Yeah. <laughs> when um, sort of they're sort of arguing amongst themselves and uh, Sid takes the opportunity to grab the, the mask and the voice changer and the phone and she calls the telephone <laughs> and he, uh, Billy picks it up, fucking throws it at Stu. He says the line. And then he picks up, he's like, hello? <laughs> like, yeah. He's just so innocent still. Yeah. There's just an airhead and I love it. My mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. <laughs> it's, oh man, that is just such a great, um, just such a great performance from him. And it just, it's so visceral and natural. And it's, because it, it's what like a kid would do. Yeah. If they got themselves in that situation, you know? Um, and when... Stu sort of comes back and he's rejuvenated and is pursuing Sid. I love that she sort of slams the old TV on his head like the Nightmare 3 kill. Sure. He's like twitching underneath the set. Um, and then you get the old, you know, one last scare trope with Billy mm-hmm. after... Because like Gail shoots him as he's about to stab Sid, right? And then yep. she... Is it then Sydney shoots him like right between In the, the head, eyes yeah. or something? Um, that was cool. They like draw attention to the fact that there's going to be like one last scare and then it happens. Yeah. Um, I think it works well in this movie. They then do it in every single Scream sequel and I'm not. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't mind it in the reveal of two because it's like the other body that comes back from like behind them. Oh, okay. It's yeah. It's not like the chick, the yeah, reporter chick. It's like chick. the same thing, but again, it's putting a twist on it. Yeah. 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 Okay. It was, it was nice enough um, to keep it fresh, but yeah. I so, also love too how like Billy's death, like all. Mm, not not his, I guess, ultimate death, but when Gale shoots him. Yeah. It's because he literally told her how to do it. Because when, like, there's a scene before that when Gale is, like, holding the gun against her, oh, against this, him. Yeah. And he's safety. like, yeah, he's like, the safety's not on. Yeah, Like, true. tells her afterwards. And then so she's like, oh, yeah, well, now that I know how to use the safety, let me shoot you. Yeah, that's my biggest gripe with horrors that try to build up the climax with, like, a monologue from the villain, and they just lay bare their plan. (laughs) So then, like, while they're sort of tripping on their ego and uh, explaining everything they've, you know, brilliantly orchestrated in their own mind, uh, oftentimes the victim takes that opportunity to kill them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my favourite twist on that is, it's not a horror movie, but it's the Watchmen movie. Okay. I've still not seen the Watchmen. Well, I won't spoil it, but... uh, Okay, well, then I won't spoil it then. (laughs) Was the point you were going to make uh, pertinent to the story? Uh, it's pertinent to the uh, monologue. All right. So okay. go ahead and watch Watchmen. One of my favorite... I mean, okay. It, it, this is sort of veering from horror, but one monologue I do love is Al Pacino's at the end of Devil's Advocate I've with Keanu Reeves. Yeah, not seen that. You've not seen that? It's worth a watch. It's pretty grim, but um, yeah, it's just it's a biblical, passionate spiel that just... Is very impressive to watch. Okay, it'd nice. be it'd be a very cool like audition tape if that was like the part <laughs> that they were um, trying out roles for. Because usually you've just got this one big fight, you know, at the end of a horror. Yeah. Whereas this one is kind of like an unraveling of plans. Sure. Well, I mean, this whole movie, I guess, is a setup to be a whodunit, mm. and so a lot of the final act is like all these mysteries unraveling, and oh, you finally get answers and catharsis to mm. all the stuff you've been building up to the whole movie. Yeah. What a film. Also, I think I touched on this in... Uh, it might have been Drag Me to Hell, where I was sort of um, making a parallel to Sam Raimi's camera movements, or whoever their DP was, um, to Scream, where you get a lot of the candid shots, um, camera kind of tilting uh, mid-sequence, which is really nice. A lot of long tracking shots. Anytime there was a pursuit was really good. Because of the house designs or the set designs, 
you could kind of like pan in the same room and see through like thresholds and mm-hmm. things of them chasing each other, which was really cool. Uh, but one of my favorite things I think about just the Scream franchise as a whole is like a lot of the fake outs and you'll have a character that sort of opens a door and then does something and then the tension builds up with the music and then it holds on the door and then they close it and there's no one there. Mm-hmm. And then like later in that same scene, they pop up, you know, unexpectedly or you've got like, you know, reflections where they're looking in a mirror or a window and, you know, your your horror brain is anticipating <laughs> them to pop up behind them or when they shut the bathroom door kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it just uses them as bluffs, which is quite nice. I mean, that yeah, that reminds me of like the twenty twenty two scream, like the mm. one with Del Manette. Uh, that, that whole that is the longest build up <laughs> bluff sequence in any horror movie ever. I think so. There are so many opportunities to do the scare, but because none of them are there, yeah. it's like wow. Because the music that's a builds long up each time as well and dies off, and there's like five fake outs before he's finally yeah. killed. And I mean, it's like at its core, it's just uh, a scene showing a guy getting ready for his day mm. and so if you're not familiar with any of the horror tropes or if you watched it on mute or anything you wouldn't think anything of it so like, mm. okay we're watching a guy get ready it'd almost be boring yeah but because we are so accustomed to seeing them closing a fridge door and something behind them or mm. them getting out of the shower and there's someone there yeah we're so used to that we're expecting it and so when it doesn't happen it's like hmm, building up the tension a lot yeah yeah it's a nice touch something that's not done enough i, I think uh, and also a lot of shots of the killers kind of lurking in the background and in broad daylight as well. Like there's mm-hmm. a few shots where there'll be dialogue between characters and they move out of frame and then you see Ghostface like scampering through the trees <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, the only one I'm not a big fan of because it seems too stupid mm. is the one that I always forget about, but it's when they're in the convenience store Yeah, okay. and then it turns out that there's a ghost face in the oh, convenience store as well. Oh, you see the reflection well. in the fridge. Yeah, like That's a bit who much. the fuck would not notice that? That's a bit much for me, but it's it's still... A slight moment of comedy, I guess. Mm. So I guess because, on that note, I guess because of all the kids that play the prank and everyone like dresses up as Ghostface, in the film, that costume is something readily available, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, just like it was, I guess, in real life um, before they started filming. Because I often wondered that. It's like, if you see these background shots or like that one where it's in the convenience store and Ghostface or one of the killers is like freely walking around dressed up like that, Uh, in the middle of the day like how are people not noticing or like cops not suspicious but i don't know i guess that would be why (laughs) yeah well i mean a lot of people like even question if those scenes in the movies are even the actual ghost face or if it's like oh yeah like that is just some random like Mm. i think there's a there's a bunch of people out there that think the whole bathroom scene wasn't one of the killers like that was just a prank Okay, okay. I don't subscribe to that. I like it better that it is, in fact, one of the killers. I mean, if that was a prank, they were very aggressive and fast with a real <laughs> knife and well, came very close. Well, it looks like a real knife. Yeah, true. Um, but there's a, there's, a, there's a guy on YouTube called uh, Zach Cherry. He has mm-hmm. some pretty interesting videos of like breaking down pretty much what he has analyzed the movie and reckons who killed who. Mm. And it's like, he goes through the movie like, all right, during this sequence, he thinks it's like Billy under the mask and this one, it's Stu. And he does that for all of the screen movies. Mm. So I would recommend anyone like watch those. Those yeah, are pretty okay. interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah, who's the other, who's the Scottish dude that we watch sometimes? Ryan Hollinger. Ryan Hollinger. Yeah. yeah. He's got some interesting points as well. Mm-hmm. I saw he's uh, just uploaded a video about talk to me. Actually, I've got to see his opinion, oh, which yeah. I think is now on like Netflix mm-hmm. as well. Which It is, is indeed. I think the folks are keen to check it out, so I'm keen to relive it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and what a legacy as well that this film, this saga has had. Like, I think we're up to five sequels in a TV show at the moment. Five sequel, yeah, because Scream 6 came out this year. And there, there was talk of a seven, but then the whole... Yep, seven Melissa is Barrera up thing. in the air at this moment. And then, yeah, a, a TV show that went for three seasons, but mm. that's a weird show because the first two seasons are related and then the third one treats it as a kind of a brand new show. Okay, okay. Uh, but yeah, like I said, or maybe I didn't, I can't remember. This is my favorite like horror franchise because it's mm. just, it's so consistently good. There's not yeah. a single bad movie. There are some like low points or weak points in some of the movies, mm. but there's not a single movie that I dread watching or I don't want to watch. Whereas every other franchise has at least one movie that's like, oh, what yeah. a shit movie. Yeah. It's like an unskippable album. This yeah. franchise. Yeah, there's there's no movie that if you're watching the whole series, you can skip. Mm, mm. Which is which is really cool because when you sort of go back at like classics, like when you're going back decades, it's easy to just talk about the original out of like, you know, five, six, sometimes mm. ten installments in the saga. Like 
for doing this pod, for example, we've spoken about things like, you know, Texas Chainsaw and Hellraiser and things that have had heaps of sequels that we probably won't delve into because they'll be trash. Yep. Whereas this is one where you could have a marathon of like, you know, six films and still enjoy it. This might be the horror movie, like the it is the best franchise because every single other horror movie that I can think of mm. has at least one mediocre or bad sequel. Mm. Like every single one. Like I know the Conjuring universe is the biggest selling or, or the best yeah, performing franchise yeah exactly like for us who like our old school stuff or our technical stuff um anything with an original spin like that's very forgettable to us but a mm. lot of people that like a cheap jump scare you know um something that says it's inspired by true events then you know falsifies 50 percent of it mm-hmm. um this definitely stands out for me as well as probably the best horror franchise i would say what would you just a very quick ranking of this franchise mm. if off top of your head Oh, like sort of top three films out of these or sure. something like that? Sure, Uh I would probably say... Obviously, number one is number one. Yeah. Like, I, obviously. I would probably say Scream 1, 2, and then the 2022 one with Dylan Minnette. Okay. I could definitely see that. Just because I like the whole requel spin, because it came out of time, you know, when with, that was with things very like prevalent. Halloween. And, um, yeah, so I think that's uh, that's really interesting. And also, I'm just a sucker for Dylan Minnette, but... Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it, it did things um, different enough that it was worthy of that sequel, um, but it still had a lot of nods to that nostalgic um, 90s version of Scream that we yep. that we know and love. Yeah, yeah. I agree. What about you? Oh, one, two, six, five, four, three. One, two, six. Yep, so one and two, same as you. So and six, then- when you say six, you mean like the New York one? Sorry, one, two, five. Okay, I was, I was going to say, really? One, two, five. Six, four, three. Okay, okay. So you did not yep. like the uh, the brother spin. Okay, it's not that I didn't like it. Okay, and that's what I was struggling with when I when I decided it. It's not that it's bad. It's just that it's not as good as the rest. It's still better than seventy percent of other movies, like okay. horror movies. Is that the only one in the franchise to have one killer as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can't remember what the reveal was in four. I've definitely seen it at least once, but it was her cousin. Ah, uh, okay. Or yeah. cousin or niece. One of the yeah, I think it was yeah, it was cousin. Okay. Cousin and her boyfriend, friend. Person. Yeah, yeah. Or All right. <laughs> okay. Because I did think the even though I can't even remember the actor of the the brother who was revealed as the killer in three, I thought it was a convincing enough performance and a good enough climax in the reveal. But I just my favorite thing in that one, I think it's three and not four, is the fucking knife thrown up the stairs, hits Dewey with the handle in the forehead, and just like tumbles down <sighs> into the basement. I mean, I think that is four. Okay. But, that, I, but that, I might be wrong. That might be the only thing I remember <laughs> from that film. But that's enough. It's rent-free in my brain. Yeah. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, look, a lot of people didn't like the 2022 Scream. And, uh, you know, I can see why it's, it's a little tired at times uh, narratively. But um, I thought it was refreshing enough and unique enough. And I think um, it was worthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The New York one for number six... Not so much. I'd probably have to watch again to to have a better, you know, understanding. But um, pretty forgettable for for me. But mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I also like sort of in Scream. I touched on it earlier. Is their internal, um, like film series stab? <laughs> yeah, that's just uh, something that you know is introduced in two, and um, it just sort of evolves like the Scream franchise does um, in its own plot, which is quite funny. I mean, like, I think I think that's why people love it because it's still ticks all the boxes for people who love standard slasher movies. Yeah. But then it also ticks all the boxes for people who love maybe a slightly more engaging, slightly smarter, mm. you know, horror movie that mm. has some meaning behind it and has some actual like commentary. Yeah, like in horror, they generally suffer like slashes generally suffer from just being uh narrativeless as the yeah. as the you know franchise goes on and just sort of upping gore for mm-hmm. kind of just a mindless watch, um, but yeah, this is something that sort of ticks both of those boxes. And mm-hmm. uh, like you said before, probably the only franchise in horror I can think of that does that well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, there you go, Scream, Scream. one that uh, we are big fans of, and uh, a lot of people have been asking for uh, listeners of this pod. So mm-hmm. I hope you enjoyed this. Yes. And uh, you know what, I watched the first two. Uh, before this, I wanted to try and fit in at least three. <laughs> um, 
But just talking about this, I kind of just want to go home and just keep watching the rest of them. Just, just all of them. Just do a full-on marathon this weekend. I'd know? always recommend it. They're always good. Yeah, it's it's it should be like an annual thing. Let's have yeah. a, a scream weekend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my return of my uh, my favorite shot of the movie that I would frame. Yeah, this one's a morbid one. Okay, it is uh, Casey hanging from the tree. Thought it might be just the Thought way that's be. shot. It looks beautiful because she's kind of is she swaying. She's swaying slightly. Yep. Yeah, her intestines are hanging out. Yeah, uh, pretty gnarly. But like, it's it's such a scary image, and the fact that a like that's what her parents see makes it very mm. kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, but it's just beautiful. Yeah, that was a, a really nice shot. Well, we're coming up to an hour and ten minutes now, unless we've edited and it's slightly less. But yeah, shit. More or less, I think it's time to end. So you can catch us for our next episode at five p.m. on Friday. Yeah. Uh, wherever you get your streaming, streaming services. And uh, in the meantime, catch us on any social media at Deadhouse mm-hmm. or Deadhouse Pod. Mm-hmm. Email us at deadhousepod at hotmail.com. Yes. And uh, in the words of a certain <laughs> stew, I'll be right back. 